You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, where you will meet entrepreneurs, cultivators, inventors, creators, and leaders in the cannabis industry. I'm Pam Schmiel, a marketing and PR specialist in the cannabis industry. Today we meet Nathan Johnson, CEO of Burn Bioanalytics. They work with seasoned and new cultivators to educate them on the dangers and pitfalls of pathogens, and they help cultivators obtain the cannabinoid genetics they are specifically looking for. Nathan is also the CTO of the company Cannabisque. They are building a database of known cannabinoids based on scientific literature and cataloging their effects on the body. They use AI to create a label for products based on its COA to show how the product may work in your body. Lots to talk about. Let's meet Nathan. Yep, yep, I can hear you. <laughs> so you're busy. So where are you? Where, where are you located? I'm located in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. um, I'm in New York City, um, in the thick of things here. <laughs> In the thick of the cannabis I was industry, just there, just there four days ago. Yeah. Oh, really? So, yeah. What, what were you doing here? Just was it business or? Yeah, it was business. Um, one of our partners uh, that were were in the newness of that relationship, um, they have access to the new license holders for dispensaries in New York City. Mm. Um, and so, I was on a panel for 155 of them to help them with their operation needs. So I'll, I don't know if you've been following the rules, but they're basically not allowed anybody who has been part of the normal cannabis industry, or at least the legal industry, to be a license holder or have equity in that company, which means that while they're all social equity holders, they've been in the industry before or they are in the black market, um, they're, not, they're not part of the legal overstructure. And so they need a little bit of hold handling, hand handholding to help them um, get off the ground. And so I was unfortunate to be part of that, that network to help them. And I foresee going back to New York City many, many times to, to, to provide that oversight. So I'm sorry, these are, these are social equity entrepreneurs who have received their license, been approved. That's right. And they're, yep. now they're, they need help of experts, obviously, too. They've been growing on their own, yep. like micro situations or small farms, but now they want to cultivate. Wow, 165? Yeah. yeah, so New York City, these are dispensaries owners. They're, they're not cultivators. Um, you're not allowed to be vertically integrated in New York. Um, but these are, from what I've been told, 3,000 to 5,000 dispensaries is the goal to get on board with New York City. And these are there's only seven at the moment that are legally operating. There are lots of illegal, obviously, but there's lots, there's only seven that are legally. And these are part of that next wave of getting off the ground, but they need stores, they need all business operations to be taken care of before they can go live. So it's a lot of work for them to do now. But, um, so, um, but if, you, if you're more on the cultivation side and you're working with these dispensaries, are you just educating them on on just you know the importance of lab testing and 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 things like that? Is that what this is about? Um, so I actually am part of two companies. Uh, one is more on the consumer and product side, and one is more on the cultivation side. So Vern 
is focused about making sure that there's the plants are healthy, make sure that they're optimally producing, make sure that they're healthy, that they pass all the regs in terms of getting their product to market. Um, because there are two problems when you grow cannabis. One is not passing your regs, so therefore you have to irradiate or do extraction or things of that nature, which you cannot get top shelf plants if you don't have clean plants. So that's the one side of it. The other side of it is that there's actually pathogens and viruses that can infect the plant itself, causing you to lose half your biomass, half of your THC percent. And in the best case scenario, the worst case scenario, you just lose the whole crop. And mm-hmm. so the so you have two conflicting things that are happening at the same time um, for the cultivator side. But then once you actually get something to sell to market, but then now you have to figure out how to sell that to, to the market. Um, and so this other company uh, is more focused on matching the consumer with the product beyond just THC percent and strain name. And so the idea is cannabis is complicated. You as a, as a consumer is complicated. You want something better to align yourself to the product versus Indica Sativa or THC percent or strain name. You want to take advantage of those 600 plus metabolites that are in that cannabis to get a, a unique experience to you. So you have a certain medical condition, you are, you, you get tired really easily, you want something to help give you some energy, but maybe you also want to sleep well at night. And so those are two different products, two different cannabis that gives you the two different effects. Plus there's also you, you will, will interact with cannabis different than I will or to somebody else, take anywhere else in the world. They're going to act differently depending on their environment as well as what they do. And so the idea is to match the consumer with the product to give them that better experience rather than just here's the strain name, good luck figuring out which one will work for you. Yeah. So I'm I'm on both sides of the equation. Um because my ultimate goal as a scientist being in this industry is I want to apply this to something like cancer. But mm-hmm. we can't do that until we better understand how the whole vertical works, honestly. So um so I have my hands on both sides of the aisle. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not to jump over to cancer because I want to finish what we're talking about here, but I did see in your bio that you do have some experience in oncology and things like that. I would love to hear what mm-hmm. you know about that because that's where this industry is going. You know, the big future uh, will be able to identify and, and pinpoint how we can use the plant to treat these. Yeah. I'm so excited about that part of this industry really. Um, but, uh, so, so what, so what is the other business? So Vern Bio is what I know is the cultivation side. So is the, what is the name of the other company that you're, uh, connected to? Um, the other name of the company is called Cannabis. Um, they're going through a name change because that name doesn't explain what they do very well. <laughs> so they're, um, trying, cause the, uh, the original idea was, Cannabis is a soup. It's a it's a combination of lots and lots of different things. It's not simple by any means. And the idea of cannabis is to think of it like a soup, think of it like a fine wine, think of it like uh, like a good beer. Like you, you, you use a lot of things there that are quite complicated. But to tease out what cannabis does for it, it simplifies it down to a single label. So you would take a survey describing what you're looking for from the plant, get a label system that describes that ex- experience. So take all those 600 different um, compounds that are in cannabis, simplify it down to a single a single label, and then we do the same th- same side on the cannabis side. Take that product, take that flower, 
take that COA that is required by law to say that it's actually safe to consume, but it also has other things in there that describes what the plant does, and then have a label system that simplifies that. And then now you have a, a, a nice match. So you know which product goes to which consumer. Oh, so, so this- that way it helps the dispensary. Yeah, on to help you when you come in. So rather than spending half an hour trying to educate you, trying to help figure out what 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 product works for you, um, because even the real the the worst data is it takes on average four months for someone to find the right product, and then that product may not be in stock. That's the other side of the equation. So you may finally find something that works for you, but then it may not be in stock all the time. So this find it helps the dispensary in terms of how fast you can find the product. It also helps you find what works for you. And then also gives you recommendations on what other things may work for you if that product of your choice is not in stock. Or if you happen to be visiting Colorado, for example, or California, you still want your cannabis. Um, and so you need to have a supply chain that can work for you no matter where you are in the, in the country. So that's the full vision of that company is to help the dispensaries with the right customer, customer retention, as well as a better customer experience overall. I'm sorry. So can, that's how that do- company. <laughs> oh, okay, I, I got it. Yeah. What? How do you spell that? Canna biz, B-I-Z? Like a bisque, like a like a yes. soup. Very hard to sell. Yeah. <laughs> no, it has no. Yeah. 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 Um, so, have you heard of um, strain print? Have you heard of strain print? Mm-hmm. Is it similar to strain yep. print? I know there's some. They're Canadian, and I know there's it's a similar. Yeah, it's a similar idea. Um, the difference is, is this will be integrated into the PO system of a dispensary, and it would be more than just an app. It would be more of an actual kind of a change of how how you approach cannabis. Um, and so it's going to be something that will change over time because if you go into any dispensary, how they organize it is by indica, sativa, hybrid, strain name, and THC percent, which all of that is pretty meaningless to a point. Um, Obviously, if THC percent is, is 22% versus 1%, that's a big difference. But when you get to 22% versus 40%, it's a, it's a hodgepodge of chemicals. It's not just one thing. It's a it's the whole plant. And if you when you take it out like that, anybody who talks about cannabis all talks about the entourage effect. Um, this is an attempt to try to to try to simplify what the entourage effect is doing. Um, is by no means 100% accurate. There is going to be lots of iterations over the next five, 10 years. Um, but with our data on how well it works with our, the patients that we worked with, near 100% accuracy in terms of aligning that person with the product that they want. Um, and so it's it's very powerful with the limited data that we do have. And so that's why we're going for launching and trying to get into source. Are you just inputting data that is based on the profiles of different strains and what you, we think they can do versus for people who don't know, um, strain print is based on people's actual experiences. So customer user experience on, oh, I you know, was having problems with sleep and you know, I took this particular brand. It's more about the brands and not the strains. So they're going state to state because obviously different brands in different states. And that's so that someone can say, oh, I tried Wana brands and for sleep, I tried this particular one and it helped me. And this is my profile. I'm this age, I'm this weight, I'm blah, blah, blah. So um, it's a different, so 
is that how you're doing it then? Not based on user experience, but based on your scientific knowledge, you specifically or someone putting that information in there about the strains? So what we did, so Lorelai and myself, so Lorelai is the CEO. I'm more the CTO of the company. I'm more the technical person. She's more of the the front runner, um, more the, the person who have actually had issues with cannabis in terms of trying to find a product that worked for her kids because her kids had cannabis um, conditions that could work quite strongly. And she was so frustrated by trying to find the product for her for her children that she was like, we need a better way. Uh, I'm not the only one that has this problem. So she would be an excellent person to have on your podcast at some point. Um, but what, what the idea is, is that myself and her, we literally took to the scientific literature. Um, there's about 25,000 plus papers that reference cannabis. I think that number is close to 32,000 now. And what we did is we took all those different cannabinoids, all those different terpenes, all those different flavonoids, all those different compounds, and extracted the data from these scientific papers on what does it actually do to you, and compiled that into a very large database, um, developed a algorithm to compile all that information, and use the data from a COA, use it from a certificate analysis that actually quantifies those different cannabinoids, terpenes, et cetera, and distill it down to a label or to some kind of icon that represents what does this um, plant do to you and then do the same thing with a person. So the idea is this is to set up a framework for, so the reviews are nice, but the problem with reviews is brands aren't consistent. From batch to batch, a flower batch can change. And so if you were to say, take whatever brand name that you love and you say, I didn't like this, or next time you do like it, or you do like it, like it, like it, and all of a sudden you don't like it. The problem with stream, um, with those other types of labels is that you don't actually know why, what changed all of a sudden. Um, we know from, from people when they cultivate, this is where VernBio really helps with this kind of concept, is that we know that when people talk about a consistent product, they don't really mean consistent in the same level that a scientist means consistent. So for a, a federal FDA approved drug to go to market, it has to have less than 1% variability on all the things that are in that compound. So if you have ibuprofen, 99% of it is pure. It's pure ibuprofen. There's 1% of it or so that can be other components in there, but it cannot be any more than 1%. They, they actually usually want to get down to 0.1%. They want it to be very, very miniature variability. Cannabis, on the other hand, if you talk about THC percent, can be 30% variable on THC levels from batch to batch. But that's not just THC. If you talk about all the 600 different compounds that are in cannabis, those could also have 20 to 30% variability. And so if it gets too different, your experience with cannabis can be very different. It can go from I'm sleepy to not sleepy. That's a huge difference. And yeah. combine that from the 200 different medical uh, ailments that we have quantified from this database, there's a very wide range on what can happen to you. Now, this is not a FDA approved. This is more of a suggestion. This is not a medical condition that we're trying to say here just because of that, that caveat there. But at the same time, we can get pretty close. And getting close is way different than what is currently on the market. 
Um, and yeah. so this is the idea is to build that framework that eventually this framework will be used for scientists like myself to come along and say, I want to do cancer research. Where do I start? We don't even have that at the moment. Like there's some companies out there about doing cancer research. They're trying their best, but they're spending a lot of money trying to figure out how to make this consistent, how to figure out what all this works. Um, there's a really good drug for the, on the market, for example, that's derived from cannabis to help with epilepsy. So GW Pharmaceuticals spent five years trying to figure out how to make cannabis consistent because they had to make because they had to make it consistent because if you can't make it consistent, then how do you treat your patients as a doctor? If you can't rely on your medicine to be the same thing, good luck trying to guess why the patient all of a sudden changed all of a sudden. Probably you know they ate peanuts that day and somehow it caused some difference in cannabis. But if you can't rely on cannabis being the exact same time there is no way that doctor is going to be able to figure out why it's not working. It's going to be completely random chance. And so this is to help build that framework to give you that experience that you're looking for. And so that's where the idea of cannabis came along. So three years ago, Lorelai and myself, and actually there's another, a third co-founder that is more on the cultivation side. We were trying to max and match, mix and match all that data together to actually come up with that uniform experience. That so many people crave, but honestly, I haven't seen very many people actually do it very well in the industry. Um, now, it's not, there are some fantastic, I'm not knocking on the legacy growers, I'm not knocking on many people that are in the industry. It's just the, the definition of consistent is very different from a scientist or a medical perspective than from the current standard that is botanicals. There's a reason why the FDA doesn't traditionally regulate botanical medicines because they are very inconsistent. So the same definition that you have from the FDA for drugs is very different from botanical medicines. That's because there's a wide range of flexibility, like say capsaicin from, from hot peppers. So there are actually some drugs that are used to alleviate itchy skin because capsaicin that makes peppers hot actually works well as a cream if you apply it to the skin. But if you were to take several different peppers, take jalapeno peppers, for example, they can vary by a thousand fold different. Now, if you need a very precise number to get the effect you want, that'd be a problem. But in the case of those peppers, you just eat more peppers. It's okay. No big deal. You just eat more peppers. But if you're trying to get to an actual medical condition that requires precision on the effect, cannabis as it is, is going to need, it needs a little bit more research, is lack of a better word, to how to discover that. So that's cannabis. <laughs> so. No, you know what? <laughs> Wow, I think this is really super amazing um, product because it's the, it's going to really help the future uh, of what what we know. But I, I do have a question about that. You know, uh, th there's so many seed breeders out there right now, and people real, you know, all the different genetics and seed breeding going on. How do you keep up with that, or, or does it really matter? Because it's just the compounds that you're working at. If you if you analyze it, like you're saying in a COA you'll get what's in there. So you really have to identify all the compounds and the uh, terpenes and flavonoids and all that, right? Is that, and then, then you work on that based on the COA. That's pretty much it, I guess, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm just processing that. Yeah, that's brain. exactly right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and that's why, um, that's why Verm Bio and cannabis works nicely together because uh, the whole point, or one of the main points about Verm Bio is to get that product that people want. How do you get that cannabinoid profile that you're looking for? How do you make sure it's healthy? How do you make sure that it passed regulations? 
and and the real the real goal of Vern is to actually say, I want this cannabis, I want this can I want this cannabinoid profile in my plant. How do I get that out of my plant based on the genetic material that's there? And then how do I make sure that the plant stays healthy? So identify, like say for example, hops and viroid. So the picture behind me on the right hand side is one plant that's infected. On the left side is one that's completely healthy. So if you notice how frosty the difference is, those are because all the terpenes are broken and are not really, not the, the trichomes are broken. The trichomes that have all the cannabinoids and terpenes are literally degraded with a hospital environment plant. So good luck getting the result that you want. And so we don't know what makes these plants resistant to this viroid, as an example. It's considered to be the $4 billion problem in the cannabis industry. And so if this is, and this is just one of 90 plus pathogens that we know can affect cannabis, and there's going to, this is going to constantly keep increasing as we start getting more crops that are intermingled in terms of their growing. Guess what? A lot of viruses, a lot of molds, a lot of, a lot of insects like to chew both on cannabis as well as other plants. Um, alpha mosaic virus is a good example of this and affects over 600 different plant species and cannabis happens to be one of them. And so how do you, how do you grow your crop consistently when you have those kind of mitigating factors in there? This is, this is the ultimate challenge with, with a plant as your medicine source. If you have to grow it outside, if you have variability in your environment and when the water comes out, when the sun comes out, when different insects come through, when grasshoppers come through and, and affect your crop. If that's ultimately your medicine, how do you mitigate those risks as a grower to get the product that you want as a consumer? And so that's where Verm Bio and cannabis kind of work side by side together to help with that conversation. Because the ideal vision would be Verm Bio would work with the cultivator who then would sell their product to dispensary that cannabis works with and just build that marriage, build that circle of trust and relationship, and just keeps pivoting and making it better every single round is, is what the, the larger vision of all this is. How do you work with, uh, what, what do you know that a, a, an experienced cultivator who may be working in agriculture and maybe came to cannabis like a lot of people are doing, do you work on their knowledge already? Or what do you, what do you come in and do for a cultivator? Right now, um, the vision that we have is substantially smaller than what the reality is at the moment. And that is just because, by and large, most cultivators are not educated from big ag or from agriculture. They come from legacy growers, or they've been in the market, or they maybe have their fresh graduates. Maybe they have some education, or maybe there's some new degrees from these all those different cannabis institutions. So they have a little bit understanding of what's possible, but practicality, they haven't really applied it yet. And so that conversation depends on how crazy, how crazy deep these cultivators want to get. More often than not, they just want to, they just say, we have a problem in our field. What is it? That's most of our conversations with most people. Um, we've been trying hard to push into the next level, but honestly, people aren't there yet as an industry. Um, and that is largely because most of these markets are new. When you're making a couple thousand dollars per pound, who cares if you're losing 20% because it's not your cost model of your business? Now, when you go to Colorado or California, you're making 300 or so per pound. 20% is, is between the point between making it as a business and not. And so it's easier for us to have a conversation with those cultivators than we do with, say, New York City, because their pain points are way different than the pain points in California or Colorado. And so 
generally speaking, most of them are just saying, we have this problem. Why are my THC percent 40% than what it's supposed to? How do I fix this solution? So we're working on products to actually kill the viroid, as an example. And we also have solutions to identify the viroid. Because that's where the market's at, at the moment. But the market will eventually get to the point where I have, I have this male plant, I have this female plant, and I have these characteristics that I like in both these plants. When I cross them, I want to know which progeny have the characteristics I want. Um, that's described as market-assisted breeding. We can actually sequence the genome of those plants and find out what characteristics are in the progeny that they want and actually tell you, okay, of these 1,000 seeds, these are the 10 seeds you should focus on. By and large, there are very few companies that are there yet, much less cultivators. I would say there's probably only three companies I know of that are actually using that um, that feature. And so the market will get there. That's how Bayer, that's how Monsanto, that's how a lot of these big ag companies actually grow corn. Um, they will do this on a level of 200,000 plus plants while they're doing a breeding program. But by and large, most of the people in the cannabis industry are not there yet. And that's just because it's timing of maturation of a market. And then as time goes on, you'll start talking about genetic assisted breeding where you'll actually insert different genes into the plant to make it healthier. You'll start doing more and more crazy stuff as time goes on, but by and large, we're just not there yet. As you, yeah. Yeah, so have we been consuming <laughs> pathogen plants like before all this started? Like, you know what I mean from buying bags on the oh, yeah. corner from Mexico and wherever? I mean, we must have been. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Okay. You, 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 I guarantee you that you've had pesticides in those plants, in those bags. Uh, I guarantee you've had heavy metals like lead, arsenic, stuff of those nature in there, depending on where you buy those bags from. Um, like I was in New York City with a buddy of mine. He, he bought six different products for someone who had a COA that they supposedly passed all regulatory. And there was two rounds of joints. He was completely fine. But the third one that was from a different batch, all of a sudden his eyes just started tearing up. And I said, I bet you there's something different in that plant. <laughs> and he just looked at me and was like, huh, I bet you're right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's... I guarantee you. That's why I'm not smoking that joint with you, because I didn't see the COA. <laughs> I don't trust people, naturally speaking. A lot of people are not um, cultivation smart. And and you hear pathogen microbials, you know, all over the media. What does that, what does that mean for the consumer? I mean, is how how deadly is it or how dangerous is it? What, why should we care? Yeah. So, cannabis, if anybody has been watching, is a very unique plant. Um, if you grow cannabis side by side with corn, soybean, or another typical crop, what cannabis will pull out of the soil is very different than what corn and soybean is. This is why you do the regulatory testing. And, and the reason why is because um, cannabis actually picks up heavy metals from the soil. Second, you do things differently with cannabis than you do with other agricultural crops. You don't smoke corn, you just eat corn. But think of like another, think of another thing like milk. You don't make milk from corn. But hemp seeds could actually be used from cows to actually help them make milk. You, don't, you make tinctures, you make oil extracts from cannabis. You don't do that with soybeans or corn or other crops. You can make clothes from cannabis. 
you don't do that from corn or soybeans or other crops. So there, there is several different industries that are all wrapped up in cannabis. And so that makes regulations very challenging because a lot of the basic rules that a lot of scientists will make decisions on don't simply exist. Because if you think of smoking, our reference is tobacco for most things. Tobacco is very different than cannabis in terms of what that looks like. We treat cannabis as a food source, such as the hemp seeds, that's very different than corn in terms of how it pulls up. And so the ultimate challenge is that is the reason why all those reg tests exist. It's not just to cost more money. It's not just to because the government is feels like it. It's because there's a true harm there that is different. So it's food science matched up with smoking. It's matched up with extraction, matched up with all these different industries that traditionally are separate. And, and the challenge is, is that when industries overlap, different pathogens now are exposed in a new light. So what happens if that pathogen infects your lungs and causes harm? If you just ate it as a food, it would never have access to your lungs. But with smoking, it now does, and vice versa. If you only smoke something, but you don't eat it, it has access to your stomach, but it doesn't have it has access to your lungs. And so different things infect differently. So there are organisms on your skin. There's organisms, there's billions and billions of different microorganisms. They all do, they all have different ways of surviving in the world. The key to that is they survive based on their environment. So their environment dictates what that pathogen, what that organism can and cannot do. And so if you give it a new environment, think of like um, mongooses in Jamaica that came in to eat all those snakes. There's no natural predator for that. Think of the bow constrictors that are in Florida. There's no natural predator for those things. Think of rabbits in Australia when there was no natural predator. Like whenever you have something come into a natural environment that there's no checks and balances for, that's when that thing is getting go crazy. So same thing with cannabis. So aspergillus is, is one of the really bad ones that if you get it into your lungs, it's really, really bad mold for. But guess what? It's everywhere in the environment. Costrillium is another one. It's going to be in your leaves in your yard as you're raking. It's actually in there decomposing your leaves. You don't smoke your leaves, but because you don't do that to your leaves, it doesn't actually hurt your lungs where it can actually cause harm. But if you take cannabis as a different situation, it now has the environment that it likes to cause harm. And so like E. coli, salmonella, listeria, all these different organisms that in, in one environment, they're completely harmless. In another environment, they're really, really bad. Um, and so when I was a food microbiologist, we actually would test for all these different things. We would test like different, like, like Isakazaki is, on, is one of the organisms that we would call could actually be found in baby formula. Outside of baby formula, it's not a bad thing, but inside baby formula, it can actually cause a lot of harm up to death for an infant. And so in that situation, really, really bad. But outside that situation, not so bad. Take honey as an example. All the labels say don't feed to an infant under a year old. The reason why is because honey bees actually use their, their actually, honey is actually regurgitated. It's actually their throw up is basically what honey is from a bee. They have a lot of organisms in their gut that help them process that honey from nectar to honey. But because an infant can't handle those organisms, not good for an infant, but for an adult, it's amazing because of a lot of different properties in there that are really good. And so all those regulatory stuff, it's there, it's designed to help mitigate those safety concerns. And as the, t as the industry goes on, we'll start finding more and more things that will help there. 
Because historically speaking, if you smoked a joint that was from an illegal source, you wouldn't tell your doctor that where you, why you think you're sick, because you, you're afraid of other repercussions. And so as we're going to do this, things will start popping up and go like, oh yeah, my buddy started tearing up because of this. I'm sure there was something in there that caused them, but because of how, how that flower got to New York City, and because it was not part of the regulatory chain, I guarantee you that was because of something failed in California and made its way to New York City. And that was why he had that reaction. Um, just things like that nature. And Easy. I can tell you a thousand more stories about it. Like there's, there's so many different scenarios on why something like that is important. And also why decisions from regulatory agencies are so important on those organisms because guess what? There's different criteria on what it causes harm just like I mentioned environment. So not E. coli is all the same, not all salmonella is the same, not all the stereo, not all these organisms that cause harm are actually the same. There's different versions of it. Think of like the flu, like all the avian and the swine flu that we've heard over the years. Different flus have different repercussions on what it does to a person. Same thing with these different organisms in cannabis. So like for example, the, the mold that we test, that's powdery mildew, that's actually found on cannabis is different than powdery mildew that's found on the on the plants that are in your yard, as an example. Um, so it's yeah. So it's all it's all a big game of of like the Jungle Book, survival, survival of the fittest. Everybody's trying to find their environment where they get their edge. Just like capitalism, <laughs> it's biological yeah. capitalism. <laughs> you know, I've really been wanting to dive deep into this and understand this. There's so much in the cannabis industry, you know, from a to z oh yeah and it, it's so important and there's so many people who don't understand it but the general public really needs to understand this and this will also 100%. help us fight the black market yeah. i guess farmers just it, it's something they've just it's a learning curve for these new farmers i guess that's what you're saying oh yeah it's a, it's a it's a learning curve for the consumers it's a learning curve for the people who are actually selling cannabis um, it's a learning curve for the people who grow it, as well as the regulators. So everybody is all learning um, at different rates. Um, but to me, the, the the main emphasis is that all businesses are going to listen to their customer. So if their customer is demanding a COA from every single batch, from every single product, every single time, and they will not buy it unless that exists, that is the best way to drive proof of, in the pudding. Because if it's someone like me, or if it's a farmer, or if it's a dispensary, or somebody else who's trying to push that, and at the end of the day, they're not the ones who are actually paying those different people, they're going to have a harder sell as a business to convince them to do it than if the consumer comes in and says, I won't buy this unless there's a terpene panel. Um, I know this cannabis label only works unless this data is there. I want that data available in my plant. So unless they say, I'm not going to spend flower, I'm not going to spend any money on this flower unless I see that. If you start seeing 10% of your customers saying all the exact same thing, that's going to get to the dispensary or the business to go, okay, now we got to force our labs to do this test. Okay, now the labs that are doing this, now we have to force the cultivator to do this. And so uh -oh. that is just how changes happen is that you have to have people educated enough to know there's something better than just THC percent. But if everybody just talks about THC percent as it's the game all, they're not going to change their ways because it costs more money to change their ways. So why would they? But um, but the big question is, what about these, is getting people to uh, demand this from their 
illegal dispensaries because you've been in New York City, they're everywhere. And no one even knows the difference between legal and, and, you know, and, and not legal dispensaries here. So, yeah. So I think that's why it's just important to, to educate the public on the harms. And then they'll start going in and asking wherever they get their, it from. And I'll tell you another big thing happening here. All the um, the growers, the legacy growers, but, you know, even like the new growers, they're all coming out with their own weed and selling at all these little farmers markets mm-hmm. everywhere. Okay, I can see not buying a gummy or whatever because you don't know what's been manufactured in there. But you think, oh, you know, a bag of flour, what could what harm could be there, right? I mean, I feel like we're all focused on the product is not, you know, beware, but the flour, what could be wrong, right? So there's a lot of that going on here. But anyway, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot more for you. Um, okay, so I would love to. <laughs> And on what you know about uh, or where you think we're going with uh, cannabis research or in in oncology. I just think that would be so interesting. What do you know so far or where do you, where are you driving that? What do you want to know or what, what's the future for that? Do you think we have something to help? Um, Kind of what, where do you think the possibilities are cannabis in medicine? Cannabis is a medicine for oncology. Yeah. So a lot of people like to, like big picture, like to think about scientists being really methodical, really, really data-driven on how they make decisions. But if you look at the scientific method, the first start is always observation. What do you observe happening? And what I observed, this is why I joined the industry, is I saw way too many stories about people applying cannabis to different ailments and all of a sudden it's gone. Um, I've met people that it happened to them recently. I met other people that did it to them um, or to their friends. And then they had, say, melanoma or they had skin cancer. And then they applied a salve of cannabis to their skin and it was gone a week later. Seeing that five times, seeing that 10 times, you could say, well, maybe it's just they got lucky. But when you start hearing hundreds and hundreds of stories, you can go on Reddit, you can go on anywhere where people keep talking about this over and over again. That's at the point where you, the eye of the scientist goes, maybe there's something here. Why is that happening? Now I know that it's not naively, biology is complicated, experiments are complicated, medicine is complicated in terms of why it does, it does not work. But when you know that there is something that is working that gives you justification to figure out why, what is the hypothesis on why this is happening? So there is quite a bit of research coming out of Israel with cancer and cannabis. And um, this is what got my attention several years ago is I saw a really good experiment that showed cannabis helping, hurting, and doing nothing to cancer. And so to me, that says, awesome. So there's a, there is a signal here that it can actually kill cancer. There's also a different situation where it can actually make it worse. And there's also a situation where it does nothing. And so now as applying this to cancer, it's super critical to figure out which one's which. Because I don't want to do a clinical trial and try to convince 30 patients to use my use my version of cannabis to cure their cancer, and then all of a sudden it makes it worse. I mean, I couldn't live my myself if that was the case. That was just that just that's the worst thing you could do when you're trying to help make make something better, make it worse. And so me as a scientist, I'm like, one option is go get investors and try to figure this out. But to me, I think is too complicated to do that at this point. I think we have to do a lot more basic research on the plant. Because you can hear story after story, like we found this new cannabinoid, we found this new thing, we found that new thing. And as a scientist, I say, 
holy holy cow like this is this is really hard to figure out there's a reason why drug companies like trying something that has one effect because it spent cost them a couple billion dollars to get that to market with a drug that does one thing you're talking about something that could do 600 different things good luck trying to figure out that and so i as a scientist say i want to spend a few years here playing with cannabis trying out trying all these different things figuring out what does and doesn't work and then go apply it to cancer at that point, because then we'll have a better chance of figuring out what does or does not go, because otherwise you're going to be spinning your wheels for five years trying to figure this out and get nowhere, which a, a few companies have done that in this space. There are several companies in this space that have gotten some really good investment, but you haven't seen a lot of output from them. And my suspicion is that they have not considered the complexity that is cannabis and and budgeted or or considered what needs to get done to figure out all those new different nuances. Um, and so for my personal opinion, I think there is some really, really strong potential from this plant. The challenge is, is figuring out where, why, and how to apply it rather than just, do, just the common trend seems to be that cannabis is the cure-all for everything. Nothing's like that. That's just, life is too complicated for that. But can it, be a, the, can it help quite a bit for a lot of these big ticket diseases that we have in the industry? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I got approved for helping people with chemotherapy and nausea as an example. One of the big problems with chemotherapy is majority of people have nausea all throughout. And the, generally speaking, the nausea medications that we have don't work that well. Cannabis works really, really well. And so bath sauce based off of cannabis is the go-to medicine for a lot of these chemotherapy patients because that helps alleviate that problem. Is it, is it killing cancer? Probably not, but that's a lot better for a lot of these patients. Yes. And the list goes on. Like you can go from 80 seizures a day to once at once over a couple of weeks. I mean, you can't argue with that math. That's how medical cannabis started happening um, is because people saw that difference and you, you, it's hard to argue with that. I mean, once you see that happening, it's just, it's, it's hard to argue with that. And so the same thing goes with all these different scenarios. Now, the reason why the FDA and a lot of people are giving resistance on applications to cancer is because we don't have that gotcha moment. We don't have that, oh, my gosh, 80% people survived with cancer and with the standard of care is at 40%. Okay, there's the gotcha. It's hard for you to, to argue with that difference. And I would argue the reason for that is because we don't know cancer. We don't know cannabis well enough to know when or where it should, should not be applied. Like our limitations are like CB1, CB2. That can't be the whole picture. Yeah. That can't be the only receptors that respond to this. There has to be some other additional factors on why cancer has a different effect. Um, and that's my my thoughts on the matter and why that I think in 10 years, we'll probably see a lot of these different things popping out. But it's definitely going to be a slow buildup as we start figuring out these pieces as we go. I really think there's a lot of potential in um, targeting uh, cannabinoids for uh, cannabinoid dysfunction in our body, endocannabinoid dysfunction. Like, can we fix that dysfunction and put everything back into homeostasis is where our, kind of what we're really talking about and pinpointing those mm -hmm. different things. And it may not cure it completely, but may just take away nausea, which is huge. That's huge, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, oh, it's so exciting. Wow. Or pain, yeah. or, pain or all these other things. I mean, how, how often are different ailments related to pain or nausea or some other secondary effect that's 
cannabis may not be solving the initial problem, but it makes your life livable. Well, great. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I learned so much. And <laughs> you made me really excited for the industry again. The way things are going now, nobody's feeling good about it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.